Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 12. Exodus 12. We're going to read the first 28 verses, but we're going to focus on the first 13. Now, up to this point, we've seen how the Lord has really vindicated His people by sending nine plagues against the people of Egypt. Now, those plagues were, in one sense, a just punishment against Egypt because of their mistreatment, because of their enslaving of God's people. But at the same time, they were a judgment against their false gods. We've seen how those plagues, time and time and time again, demonstrated the hopelessness and the helplessness of the false gods that Egypt served. Bear that all in mind. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of... Of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. 
Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning." For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord, your, that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Amen. Beloved congregation chosen in Christ, as we've walked through these plague accounts of the book of Exodus, we have seen repeatedly that God was waging a spiritual war. On the one side were the false gods of Egypt, led by Pharaoh, who was regarded as a living God. On the other side was the true God, Yahweh, King of Israel. Although Yahweh had repeatedly shown that the false gods of Egypt were powerless against him, nonetheless, Egypt's king refused to let God's people depart. And that was as the Lord planned. He meant to bring his people out by a judgment unparalleled in its significance. In our text today, the time of that final judgment has almost dawned. The Lord's fury is about to descend upon the people of Egypt. And in preparation, He commands His people to have a meal. A Passover meal. Now what does this meal, this Passover feast, what does it teach Israel? And even more importantly, what does it have to do with the church today? My friends, it has everything to do with the church today. Because everything about this Passover feast points to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. God commands this sacrament called the Passover. Notice that He commands that it be done every year on the 14th day of the first month. He commands this meal not only for that first generation, but for all the succeeding generations, for every year His people enjoy, He has commanded this sacrifice, or this sacrament, as a means of pointing them forward. Not just backward to the deliverance that they have experienced from Egypt, but forward to an even greater deliverance. You see, this meal was to be a sermon. A sermon that would point them to a greater deliverance by a greater sacrifice that would deliver them out of the slavery that afflicts all of mankind and into a promised land that is eternal and unending. The Passover feast 
is really the apex of a series of living sermons that Israel had experienced. And by those sermons, and by this sermon in particular, God would teach them not merely how he was delivering them from their physical slavery, but how he would deliver all of his people throughout all of history from their slavery to sin and Satan and death. In this passage, we see how the Lord prepares his people for their deliverance. And he does so by the Feast of the Lamb. So that's our theme. The Lord prepares his people for deliverance by the Feast of the Lamb. And the first thing we see about that Feast of the Lamb is how he commands them to select a lamb which would display the perfection of Christ. At the start of our text, God is speaking to Moses and Aaron so that they can instruct the people of Israel. The first thing he says is, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, that's significant. Israel's departure from Egypt will be marked with a new calendar. But why? Why will this now be their first month? Well, God wants them to see that in their deliverance from slavery, they're getting a brand new start. Slavery will, from this point forward, be something in their past. And from this point forward, they will be free. They will be free to use their gifts in service to God. They will be free to worship God according to His command. They will be free to serve the Lord wholeheartedly with all of their gifts, all of their abilities, all of their time. This new calendar will be deeply symbolic for Israel. It would mark the end of 430 years of of slavery of being absent from the land God had promised. It would mark the start of a new era in which they begin seeing the promises of God being fulfilled for them. That same symbolism comes to us, to the new Israel in Christ. Because like Israel of old, we were born slaves, not to a geopolitical reality like Egypt was, but slaves to our sin. Slaves to our fallen nature. Slaves to Satan who in his tempting power owned us. But just as God promised that he would rescue Israel, so he has promised us that he would end our slavery, that he would deliver us into freedom, that he would enable us to serve and worship him the way that we were called to do. And just as with Israel... So for us, our freedom comes through judgment and death. But not our judgment and death, as the Passover command reveals. Through Moses, God tells them, each family is to select a lamb. On the tenth day of the month, they can select a sheep or a goat, but either way it must be perfect. A year old, And without defect, entirely unblemished, having chosen the lamb on the tenth day, they are to care for that lamb until the fourteenth day. Now, why is that? Why not allow them to procrastinate right up until the end, go out among their 
flocks and find one at the last minute. Well, think about the effect that obeying this command is going to have. They're going to go out on that tenth day. They're going to select this yearling lamb. And they're going to bring it home. Seeing from day to day its perfections in the way that it runs and eats and plays and sleeps. Being amused, you've seen yearling lambs. Being amused by its antics. Enamored of it as it nuzzles up against them. As it plays with the children. You spend that much time with a lamb, you grow kind of attached to it, don't you? And so it's going to be all the more significant come the 14th day when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Can you imagine how difficult that now becomes? Even for an agricultural people accustomed to the death of livestock, having selected out that one perfect unblemished yearling lamb and cared for it for the better part of a week, That was going to be tough. And it was supposed to be. Because that lamb represented the lamb who would die for them. As they lived with, cared for, came to appreciate, to enjoy, to even love that little lamb, they were seeing a living image of Christ. In the Lamb's unblemished body, they were seeing the spiritual perfection of Christ. In that Lamb's trust in them, they were seeing Jesus' perfect trust of His Father. In that Lamb's affection, they were getting just the smallest glimpse of the Savior's love for His people. And in its ultimate selfless death, they were getting a glimpse of the cross. They were getting a glimpse of the death of Christ for His people. There is a reason why John the Baptist was so quick and so clear in his proclamation that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And likewise, the Apostle John, when he sees our Savior standing in heaven, he immediately describes Him as a Lamb standing as though it had been slain. This was imagery they knew because of Passover. The Passover was meant to be for Israel a sermon pointing forward to Jesus, the unblemished lamb who loves us and whose death would save us. It is that lamb, 1,500 years after the Exodus, who would deliver Israel truly from its slavery. He would free them from the slavery that one cannot escape by crossing through a sea. He would deliver them from an enemy who enslaves not just outwardly but also inwardly. If Israel was to be truly free, it was in that lamb that they must trust. And so God commanded this feast to be celebrated every year, year after year after year. And it would begin with the selection of an animal that would display the perfection of the lamb who would deliver them truly. Thus, they would learn to trust in the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus. And thus, we also, looking back, can appreciate the perfection and the love 
of him who suffered and died that we might live. But then the Lord commands his people how they are to eat the meal. Notice there is nothing haphazard about this Passover feast. Everything about this meal, from the selection of the lamb to the timing of it all, even down to the way it is cooked and eaten, everything about it is meant to display the greater sacrifice of Christ. And so then with the instruction for eating that special meal, it's, it's filled with symbolism. As soon as they kill the lamb, the people are to use its blood to paint their door frames. Now, he explains the purpose for that a little later in the text. But from the very start, they have to see that they are to be identified by the death of this lamb. I mean, think about it. The doorposts and the lintel of their homes are to be painted with the blood. That's the first thing you see when you approach a house, right? Why is it that people spend lots and lots of money for a fancy door? That's the first thing. That's the thing that your attention is drawn to on the house. And so for the people of Israel, anyone passing by, anyone approaching their house, the first thing they're going to see is the blood. They are to be identified by the blood of the Lamb identified as the people for whom the Lamb died. That's not insignificant. Israel is now, that's to be their identity, isn't it? They're the people for whom the Lamb died, and so are we. We are to be identified, not by painting our door frames. But at the very start... At the very moment we enter into the kingdom, we're baptized. With water that symbolizes the work of the blood of Christ. We are marked from the very start by the blood of the Lamb. As the people for whom He died. The people whom He delivers. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we receive wine, which 1 Corinthians 10 calls a participation in the blood of Christ. In John 6, Jesus himself said, My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As was Israel, so are we identified By the blood of the Lamb. And then, Israel is to take, having killed the Lamb, having taken its blood and used it to paint their door frames, now they are to cook and eat the Lamb that has been killed. But they they may not cook it however they want, they're to roast it. That's important. Because there's symbolism there. If they had eaten it raw, well, God uh, will later tell them that He's not okay with them eating the meat with its lifeblood still in it. But if they were to boil it, they would lose that symbolism. Because when you roast an animal, you put it over the fire, it begins to char. It's, it's going to be reminiscent, especially for a people of that age, of a sacrifice, an altar. And that's important because this lamb is pointing forward to a great sacrifice. Not only 
providing for their physical well-being by feeding them, but standing in their place before the wrath of God. So they're to roast the lamb, and then they're to eat it along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The bitter herbs represent the bitterness of their enslavement in Egypt. And the bread, the bread represents how completely they are delivered from that bitterness. Because leaven, the stuff that makes bread light and fluffy, that leaven was preserved back then in a lump of the old dough. And so each loaf of leavened bread contained part of the bread from before. And God wanted them to see when you leave Egypt, you leave it all behind. All of the slavery, all of the curses, all of the brokenness, all of the suffering, all of the tears are left behind. And so they would eat it with unleavened bread, representing a new start, representing a complete departure from what is in the past. And then they must eat it all until it is utterly and completely devoured. The sacrificial lamb must be utterly destroyed to the last morsel because in that destruction God's people would be nourished for a life of freedom and it would be a complete freedom. It would be an absolute deliverance. So it is for us when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We too consume the bread that represents Christ, the Lamb, being nourished unto eternal life by the death that He endured, entering a freedom from sin that is absolute and complete. And Jesus assures us in John 6 verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And as they ate, as they partook of that sacrament, they were to do so in a unique manner. You shall eat it with your belt fastened, with sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, this was not Israel's typical manner of eating. Remember, these were a people who worked hard. When they sat down for their evening meal, they sat down. They relaxed. They enjoyed their food because the work of the day was over. They were about to rest for the night. But not this time. They were to put their sandals on first. They were to fasten their belt about their waist, making sure they had their staff in their hand. Why would you do that? It was a sign of faith. God has promised that this meal will nourish us for the journey out of our slavery. God has promised that He's about to send us away from this land of our grief. And so as they ate, they were to do so with a clear demonstration that they believed God was going to do it. God was going to send them away. God was going to bring them into the freedom that He had promised. Brothers and sisters, likewise must we, meet, must we consume our Passover when we partake of the Lord's Supper. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it, it tends to be a solemn occasion, doesn't it? And that's proper. After all, we're doing something that's really serious business. We're commemorating the death and the suffering of Christ on behalf of our sins. However, however, I submit to you that our solemnity, if we are to 
figuratively consume with our staff in our hand and our sandals on our feet our solemnity must be matched by our joy. Because not only does this supper, does this meal commemorate the suffering of Christ on behalf of our sin, it also guarantees our deliverance from slavery and unto the fullness of freedom. And so while we should be somewhat solemn in recognizing the the suffering and death of Christ, we should also be celebrating the sure confidence we have in heaven. The absolute assurance we have that we will live forever with God in the fullness of His glory and His blessing. We should be eager to depart unto the fullness of that freedom that Christ has obtained for us. A new life awaited Israel of old. A life of serving God with great joy. And the same is true of us. God has promised us the freedom to be holy. God has promised us the freedom to worship as He commands. He has promised us a new life that begins right now. And He has set before us, as He set before them, a promised land. After we have crossed through the wilderness of this fallen world... We have been assured we will enter into heaven where all of the sorrows and the the suffering and the disease and the brokenness of this world is left behind. And even beyond that, he's promised that there's a new heaven and new earth awaiting. An absolutely renewed creation where we can use all of our gifts physically and spiritually in order to serve God with a fullness and a perfection that we can't even begin to imagine right now. So, beloved, we should rejoice abundantly as we partake of that sacrament. Knowing that Jesus is not only promised, but he has already fulfilled the victory that he assured us of. But, of course, the Lord's Supper is to be a serious time. Jesus did suffer and die for us. But we must never forget That joy. We must never neglect that joy. And we see that blend of sorrow and celebration emphasized in the final two verses of our text, where we see a lamb sufficient to display the salvation of Christ. That's our final point. In verse 12, God tells them, Your night of deliverance, your night of celebration, will be for Egypt a night of suffering. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. God himself was going to bring upon Egypt the judgment they deserved. Because they enslaved his beloved son Israel, he would destroy their firstborn. Now we'll talk more about that Lord willing, when we consider our next text at the end of this chapter. But do understand that what God did in this final plague, it was not the fullness of the judgment that was deserved. It was merely a down payment. The larger debt is the debt that is owed by every single man and woman, young and old, who has descended from Adam. The debt for our sin, the debt for our rebellion, the debt for our continued rejection of the lordship of our Creator. 
None shall escape paying that debt. And on the day of the judgment, well, on that day, what has been whispered in secret will be shouted from the hilltops. What has been thought in the heart will be revealed before the crowds. What has been done in darkness will be brought into the light. And not merely the firstborn will pay the debt of that judgment, but all men, all who have served their false gods, all who have refused to serve the true God, they all will endure God's judgment. They will fall and unthinkable will be their end. And just as with Egypt of old, the emptiness and the fruitlessness of their false gods will be evident to all. If it wasn't clear already, Egypt's false gods were helpless. Pray though they might, sacrifice though they might, their gods could do nothing to deliver them. And in the end, God's enemies would confess what they already knew in their hearts. Their gods were a lie. There is one God, the God served by Israel, the God who made us all, the God who deserves our worship. That's the darkness of the Passover, that judgment that foreshadows the greater judgment that will befall all of mankind at the end. But over against that judgment, that darkness is the bright assurance and the joy that God shines upon Israel. Because they are the people of the blood. Their doors marked by the blood of the Lamb. Blood that pointed forward to Christ. Blood that foreshadowed His suffering on their behalf. For God's people, that blood was a sign of comfort. Seeing that blood, they knew God would pass over their houses. By the blood of the Lamb, they would be exempt from the judgment that would befall all of Egypt. Because God Himself would see that blood. He would pass by. He would pour out grace upon them. And brothers and sisters, that blood is the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ, God's people of old were spared His judgment on Egypt... And by that same blood, we are marked as God's beloved children. We are passed over from that ultimate judgment that will befall the rest of mankind. When we see that blood poured out in the Lord's Supper, yes, we should recognize that it was done because of our sin. That should sadden us, but we should rejoice. We should smile. We should celebrate that God loved us that much. He was willing to pay the price that was greater than all the gold and all the silver and all the platinum this world could even begin to touch. He was willing to pay the greatest price to demonstrate the deepest love in order to deliver us out of judgment and into the fullness of His favor. That is worthy of our joy. That is worthy of our celebration. That is worthy of our thanksgiving. Nor is that comfort something that belongs only to those who are mature enough to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Children of the Lord, though you may not yet be mature enough to celebrate the Lord's Supper yourselves, Every one of you, every one of you has already been marked by the blood. Because God commanded us 
telling us that the promise is for us and for our children after you. God commanded us to put the mark of his salvation upon your heads also. And thereby he demonstrates that the blood poured out to deliver us from judgment was poured out for you also. Now, that's not automatic. That doesn't mean, well, I can do anything I want because I'm golden now. No, we have to trust the one who suffered for us. We have to trust the one by whose blood we're marked. We need to, to demonstrate our faith by living for him. But we can be absolutely certain that we too are the people of the blood. Simply by trusting. Just as Egypt demonstrated that. Simply by painting the doors and staying inside. Staying, as it were, under the blood of Christ. And if we're under that blood, if we're marked by that blood, then we have every reason to worship, every reason to celebrate, every reason to rejoice, because the true Lamb of God, He came, He lived, He suffered, He died for us, and now He has risen. He stands at the right hand of God. He is opening the scroll of God's perfect will for our good and for our salvation. And with the angels, with the church, with the saints in heaven, we fall down and we confess, worthy are you, Jesus our Savior, to receive all the glory and honor now and evermore. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the sacrament of baptism, and when you read about the sacrament of Passover that they celebrated long ago, recognize that God has told us, God has assured us that we are the people of the blood, the people of the Lamb, that that's why Jesus came. And that that is how we, with the utmost certainty and confidence, can rejoice today. To Christ, our Passover lamb, be all the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is nothing that Israel of old could have done to deserve the mercy that you poured out upon them nor is there anything that we could have done or did that could have merited for us your mercy and your love. We thank you that you set before us your gospel promises, that you have laid upon us the sign of the blood of the Savior, and that you have worked in our hearts the faith that unites us to him. But knowing that you have, Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray that you would enable us to live all our lives, not just as we gather here for worship, but as we go out into the work world, as we go out to learn and to interact with people and to testify, enable us to do so as your people. That our very lives might testify to the confidence we have in Christ. Father, we pray this all in His name. Amen.